James Logan Malloy, 58, Special Investigator of the Alcohol Tax Division of the Treasury Department, died in a local hospital Tuesday night at 10 o'clock as the result of injuries incurred in an automobile wreck on the morning of December 30th. The wreck occurred as the car in which Mr. Malloy and Sandy Holmes of Shelbyville were riding overturned after crossing Hurricane Bridge near Smithville. He had been confined in the local hospital since. Mr. Malloy had been connected with the Internal Revenue Department of the federal government for 22 years, with the exception of a term as sheriff of Warren County from 1926 to 1928. The deceased was the only son of the late James Logan Malloy and Sarah Seitz Malloy, pioneer settlers of Van Buren County, where he was born and reared, moving to McMinnville some 20 years ago. Mr. Malloy was regarded as a fearless and just peace officer, commanding the respect of all law violators and had the reputation of always bringing in his man. He was perhaps the most widely known investigator in the entire state and enjoyed a wide circle of friends. Southern Standard, February 1st, 1939. Last episode, we learned of Malloy's brush with death while driving to a raid. The car accident caused chest and back injuries. What I didn't tell you is that Malloy succumbed to his injuries a month later. Malloy had been shot at. He had been at odds with a rattlesnake and a black widow. He had been involved in dangerous situations with moonshiners throughout his entire career as an alcohol tax investigator. He escaped death many times in the line of fire, and though it seemed like he escaped death yet again on this icy road, it would only be temporary. Less than one month after his recovery, injuries sustained from this car accident will lead to his death. Or, or so it was told. The newspaper stated that on his way to destroy a steel, his life hung in the balance until he succumbed to those injuries. Or did he? Episode 13, Questioning Everything. I received a lead from Gary Hillis, owner of Hillis Highway 30 Market in Van Buren County, that an individual had the information I needed to hear. I didn't waste any time contacting this man who I learned to be David Cook. We set a time and place. Coincidentally, we decided to meet at Hillis Highway 30 Market, the place where a lot of Van Buren Countyans gather to eat, discuss, and actually listen to this podcast. At least that's what I'm told. Take a slight ride off of Highway 70 onto Highway 30, which is just outside of McMinnville, will set you a hop, skip, and a jump 
to the neatest convenience store slash hangout for the locals. When I arrived, the place was closed just for this interview. I get set up and let David begin his story. My name is David Cook, and uh, I've lived in Van Buren County all my life, with the exception of uh, what time I was in the United States Air Force, which was 20-plus years, and I chose to come back home to my uh, where I grew up and to live the rest of my life. Uh, when I was a young boy, I heard the name Logan Malloy many times through my family, in 1923, my grandmother bought a house and 50-plus uh, acres from Logan Malloy. And uh, me and my brother owned a 50-acre uh, plot of ground, which is on Turkey Scratch Road in, right outside of Spencer. And uh, the house is still in my, um, it's owned by my two, two of my first cousins. But Logan Malloy had that house built in 1911 and it was called a Sears Roebuck house. Apparently you could go and uh, buy a house pattern, it would come pre-cut and you just assemble it. And it's, it'd, it'd be worth going to look at because it's a nice place, a beautiful place. It's called Breeze Hill. And uh, it's uh, looking at the house, you'd think it's three stories, but it's two stories. So I've known Logan, I've uh, known about Logan Lowe all my life, but I never knew a lot of details, but I got interested a few years ago Apparently, David has ties with Malloy, but what he begins to unravel is larger than any discussion of property. I read, you know, that he was, uh, he was, uh, he got injured in an automobile accident somewhere between McMinnville and Smithville. And uh, I think it occurred on a bridge or near a bridge. And after I got out of service, uh, there, I met this guy that I'd known my entire life, and he was kind of a history buff. His name was Edward Yates. He lived in Spencer. He's deceased now, but he rode a bicycle a lot. He didn't have a car. He just rode a bicycle. And uh, he, he told me one day we were talking about Logan Malloy because he was staying in the house that my grandmother bought from Logan Malloy. He was staying there. And uh, we got to talking about Logan. And he said, you know, David, he says, Logan didn't die in a car wreck. He said he was shot. He said he was shot by a man named Green near the Sparta Street overpass in McMinnville. Now, I don't know how close to the overpass, but I think every time I go under that overpass, I think of Logan Malloy for some reason. And he said he was shot, and uh, he said it was kind of covered up. And his father, Mr. Edward Yates' father's name was Lonnie Yates, and he would have been a neighbor, a next-door neighbor to Logan Malloy when he lived, when Logan lived in the house that he sold to my grandmother. And I remember Mr. Lonnie Yates, and Edward told me, his son told me that... Uh, Mr. Yates had, uh, his daddy, Lonnie Yates, had to go to McMinnville to the, to the doctor. And everyone went to Dr. Clark. Dr. Clark was, uh, he owned the medical clinic in McMinnville, and 
he grew up in Spencer, and so did uh, Jim Brady, Pete Brady. I mean the uh, the judge, the circuit judge, and uh, so you know how close knit people from the same little community can be. But anyway, he said that uh, his dad went to the Dr. Clark's and uh, I don't know what was wrong with him, but he told him, said, Lonnie, I need to see you again tomorrow. And he didn't want to come all the way back to Spencer. So he went over to his friend's house, who would have been Logan's wife's, because Logan had already passed away. And he went over there and says, can I spend the night? Because I got to come back tomorrow to the doctor. She said, sure, Lonnie, come on in. So he said, when she, Come bedtime, she said, you can sleep in here on this cot. And, uh, you know, that had been only big enough for one person. And she said, Lonnie, that's the cot that Logue died on. The Southern Standard did state that he was in the hospital the entire time after the accident. There is a book, I think that it was written by some of Logan Malloy's family members. And I read that book. I borrowed it from a guy named Pete Bumbleo. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Pete Blankenship, I guess. McMinnville. I read the book. Gave it back to him, but I did make some copies of what was in the book, pictures and stories and things like that. But uh, I guess we'll never know <clears throat> if that <clears throat> story about him, his demise, is <clears throat> really true or not. Uh, I've seen a picture of his death. I mean, I've seen a copy of his death certificate online, and it says correct. But <clears throat> if this man named Green really shot Logan. There's a good possibility if Logan uh, was a friend of the current sheriff and a friend of John High and a friend of uh, Dr. Clark and, and uh, the judge that it may have been covered up. I don't really know. I had a question for David. I said, why would they cover something up like this? It just doesn't really make sense. Well, it would kind of been shameful for a revenue agent to be shot by somebody. I mean, I'm sure if that if that story is true that this green fellow uh, had a previous encounter with Mr. Malloy. Maybe he shot one of the Mr. Green's uh, uh, friends or relatives, or maybe even Mr. Green was in it seems like the further I go into this investigation, it just gets more and more steeped into mystery. David did admit that this was only hearsay, a story passed down and passed on. To me, the cover-up really doesn't make any sense, though it does add more intrigue and shadow into the narrative. I'm not sure how much stock I can put into this. What concerns me most is that this story involves John High also. 
the same man who confessed to my grandfather, dude, the truth behind Slim's death. I'm beginning to believe that I don't know what to believe. Rethinking research, retracing my steps, I'm questioning everything. What is the likelihood that John High's name would be involved in both of these stories? Did they both originate from John High? Can we even believe John High? Am I back to square one? <laughs>